When God came on the mountain, they freaked out and they told Moses, you go talk to him, don't let us talk to him. Uh, fulfilling God's command to sanctify the people, Moses commands, quote, be ready against the third day, come not at your wives. That's from verse 15 of chapter 19 of Exodus. Similarly, St. Paul counsels in uh, chapter 7 of Corinthians uh, that married couples put off the marriage debt for a time, you know what I mean by marriage debt, I hope, for holy purposes, quote, defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Now, so here's St. Paul recommending for holy purposes, for purposes of fasting and praying, for purposes of, of, of maybe like a spiritual retreat. Um, some, some pious faithful did this all during Lent. During Lent, married couples would abstain. Um, and this is a this is a highly recommended thing. Now the idea is that neither husband nor wife can defraud the other of the marriage debt. Uh, but Saint Paul reminds recommends that it be put off for a time. It's for the purpose of spiritual strengthening. It's self denial. Look, if you can fast from food, you can obviously fast from that. Uh, two things that are actually quite related because these are two things that preserve the human species. Uh, one. Uh, well, one preserves the human individual, right, food, and the other, um, carnal relations, sustains the, the, the species as a species. It, keep, it brings new people into the world. So both of them are kind of related. So we have to do things to uh, mortify these appetites, to keep them in check and so forth. Now, the argument is if putting off marital relations for a time had the power to sanctify, then it stands to reason that someone who practiced this abstinence all her life would have more opportunities to sanctify herself. So um, her her sanctity is virginal and not just celibate, you know, intermittently, huh? Uh, that's, that's the argument. And it has to do with her consecration to God. She is totally oriented towards God. And again, the Holy Spirit is her husband. The Holy Spirit has the rights of a husband over her. St. Joseph, in a sense, is functioning as the vicar of the Holy Ghost. He stands in the, in the place of the Holy Ghost, and he protects Our Lady physically and guards her. And, of course, he loved her with a beautifully chaste love. Now, St. Jerome will argue, um, some of the Greek fathers, you know, held that the, the, the explanation for the brothers of the Lord— was that Saint Joseph was an old man when he married Our Lady, and he had he was a, he was a widower. He had already had a wife and children, and those uh, brethren of the Lord were his sort of quote unquote legal anyway half brothers uh, by Saint Joseph. Now I don't believe that uh, most Latin Catholics don't believe that. Uh, some I think Greek uh, Catholics and or Orthodox Christians still believe that. Uh, and the church has certainly never condemned the idea. Uh, St. Jerome um, goes after it and says, no, Joseph himself was also a virgin. Uh, and that tends to be the tradition of the church, the dominant tradition in the West. And there are, of course, not that this has any relevance to a Protestant, relevance to a Protestant, certainly no more than the fathers of the church would, but there are approved private revelations which speak in terms of St. Joseph uh, being a, a perpetual virgin as well. Uh, and that the the whole arrangement between Mary and Joseph was one of virginal 
uh, marriage. Now, you might say, well, that's really weird. I mean, virginal marriage, you know, a, a married woman, married man that don't have relations. Well, it actually existed at the time among the sort of hyper-spiritual sect of the Jews known as the Essenians or the Essenes. And there was another group of Jews that were similar to the Essenes in Egypt who actually practiced a sort of virginal marriage. It was almost like a monastic community. And for the protection of the women, they had a husband um, who would sort of watch over them. To, you know, to, you know. We, in these days of feminism, uh, sorry, ladies, don't be insulted, but, you know, you need men, all right? That's just the way it goes. Uh, and m- there are men there to protect women. And uh, especially in the ancient world, when women couldn't be protected by sort of a lot of the technological protections that we surround people with today, um, they needed husbands more. So, uh, I mean, I don't think they needed husbands any more anthropologically than they do today, but circumstances make it different today somewhat. So these, these, there were these married couples which practiced celibacy. This is known. This is a fact uh, among the Essenians and others. So it wasn't a, a huge thing, but it was done, okay? Mary and Joseph, both being specially consecrated souls, it stands to reason that they would both be virginal as well. And is this a bad example to married folk? No, because they had the perfect son. And aside from that, spiritually speaking, they have multitudinous offspring. Uh, I like to say, yeah, Mary did have other children, and I'm one of them, you know? All of us who are born in Christ, in baptism, become Mary's other children in Christ. She is our mother, too. Now, let's go back to the fathers. Uh, so, I, I quoted Origen. Here's St. Athanasius, another Greek father. So, again, you don't need to tell him what Adelphos means. He was a bishop of Alexandria, patriarch of Alexandria. He died in 373. And he says this, If Mary would have had another son, the Savior would not have neglected her, nor would he have confided his mother to another person. Indeed, she had not become the mother of another. Mary, moreover, would not have abandoned her own sons to live with another, for she fully realized a mother never abandons her spouse nor her children. And since she continued to remain a virgin even after the birth of the Lord, she gave her, he gave her as mother to the disciple, meaning St. John, right? This is from St. John 19, right? Even though she was not his mother, he confided her to John because of his great purity of conscience, meaning John's great purity of conscience, and because of her intact virginity. Now, uh, I think laying behind this argument is that if Jesus had other brothers, legally speaking, or at least the legal customs of the Jews in those days, because custom has force of law, the customs of the Jews in those days would not be that if you were if a son were to were to come near death he would entrust his mother to somebody who wasn't his brother he would have to entrust him to a family member. It would be actually very insulting to the family members of our Lord uh, that he entrusted uh, the Blessed Virgin to someone who was not his brother if he had brothers. Now it's interesting because they say well there were many of the faith there were, his brethren didn't believe in him. But if you go by the, um, the passages where they say this man and that man are the brethren of the Lord, one of them was one of the two Jameses, and he, he was an apostle. And although he fled, he came back. So the idea that Jesus would entrust—now, if he was Jesus' brother, 
literally in the fleshly sense and not his cousin, then Jesus would have had an obligation, in the, according to the Jewish customs of the day, to entrust the Blessed Virgin to James and not to John. This, uh, this would be um, St. John's uncle would, would be putatively, um, it would be James the last, would putatively be our Lord's brother, but we know he was our Lord's cousin, okay, not a blood brother, uh, because the word for brother could mean near relative, as it did all throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testaments, Hebrew and Greek. Um, okay, so here is St. Ambrose. Uh, who is Bishop of Milan, died in the year 397. He says this, Since Christ was born from the womb of the Virgin, nevertheless, he preserved the enclosure of her sexual chastity as the untouched seal of her virginity. He also says this, Behold the miracle of our Lord's mother. She conceived a virgin. She brought forth a virgin. A virgin she was when she conceived, a virgin when pregnant, a virgin after childbirth, as it says in Ezekiel, and the gate was shut, and it was not opened, for the Lord passed through it, end quote. This is a passage from Ezekiel talking about the temple, but many fathers of the church applied it to the Blessed Virgin Mary as being this gate through which the Lord passed, but it remained shut. Nobody else passes through that gate. And they, they use it to refer to Our Lady's perpetual virginity. St. Hilary of Poitiers, who died in the year um, 367, says this, Indeed, many depraved men give authority to their opinion that our Lord Jesus Christ was known to have brothers and sisters. While if these were really the sons of Mary and not those of Joseph from a former marriage, Never would our Lord, at the time of his passion, have given Mary to the apostle John to be his mother by saying to them both, Woman, behold your son, and to John, behold your mother, unless he were leaving the charity of a son in the disciple for the solace of his now desolate mother. So that's the argument that I just gave based on John 19. Uh, St. Epiphanius of Salamis um, says this, uh, is not the very name, virgin, sufficient witness? Is it not enough to convince you, you quarrelsome fellow? Was there ever anyone who dared pronounce the name of Holy Mary without immediately adding the title virgin? Um, all right. Now, Epiphanes, a Greek father, um, believed that these brothers of Jesus were the sons of St. Joseph by another marriage, by a previous marriage. St. Jerome on the other hand, as I said, didn't think this. Now, let me read you a few passages of St. Jerome's, from St. Jerome's uh, blistering pen here. He died in 420. Uh, he's from Dalmatia, uh, present-day Croatia, and he, he died in Bethlehem. I was requested by certain of the brethren not long ago to reply to a pamphlet written by one Helvidius. I have deferred doing so, not because it is a difficult matter to maintain the truth and refute an ignorant bore who has scarce known the first glimmer of learning, but because I was afraid my reply might make him appear worth defending. I must call upon the Holy Spirit to express his meaning by my mouth and defend the virginity of the Blessed Mary. I must call upon the Lord Jesus to guard the sacred lodging of the womb in which he abode for ten months from all suspicion of sexual intercourse. And I must also entreat God the Father to show that the mother of his son, who was the mother before she was a bride, continued a virgin after her son was born. 
St. Jerome um, responds, so Helvidius uses as one of his proofs, Helvidius attacked the virginity of Our Lady, her perpetual virginity. Um, he, he, he appeals to Tertullian, and this is how St. Jerome dismisses that. Feeling himself to be a smatterer, he then produces Tertullian as a witness. Of Tertullian, I say no more than that he did not belong to the church, end quote. Um, St. Jerome did disregard the apocryphal gospels. Again, I spoke of the Proto-Evangelium of James. He says this, No midwife assisted at his birth. No woman's officiousness intervened. With her own hands, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, herself both mother and midwife, and laid him, we are told, in a manger because there was no room in the inn, a statement which on one hand refutes the ravings of the apocryphal accounts. So he didn't have much use for the Proto-Evangelium of James. St. Jerome makes it clear that his emphasis on Mary's virginity is not a rejection of marriage. So here he says, Nor do we say this to condemn marriage, for virginity itself is the fruit of marriage. You say that Mary did not continue a virgin. I claim still more that Joseph himself, on account of Mary, was a virgin, so that from a virgin wedlock a virgin son was born. Is there nowhere written that he had another wife. It is nowhere written that he had another wife, but was the guardian of Mary, whom he was supposed to have to wife rather than her husband. The conclusion is that he who was thought worthy to be called father of the Lord remained a virgin. So St. Joseph was a virgin in imitation of the the virgin father in eternity, right? So because, um, I mean, it goes without saying or should go without saying that in the Trinity, there is no sexual reproduction, right? And in the Trinity, the father bears the son virginally. And I am not the, this is not something I'm making up. I'm not making up this manner of utterance. Some of the fathers spoke this way. St. Joseph, who is an image of the father, is virginal in his fathership of Christ. He was legal father of Christ. So he's a virgin in fact, 